It is 9.30 a.m. on a Saturday. We are at a Hindu temple in Malibu, California, and it's going to be awesome. This is Welcome to the World of Religions in the Field. I'm Austin. I'm Nathan. And welcome, welcome to, to the, the World, world of, of Religion. religion. And we are live. Yeah. We are not in the studio. No, aka the dorm room. We are currently yeah. <laughs> we are currently on the freeway back from the Hindu temple and in the midst of very thick traffic, so we figured we'd do this episode returning from our field excursion. Yeah. So this is going to be a little different from normal episodes because it's not so much research-based and like drawing conclusions and asking questions and more of just kind of reflecting on observations. Yeah, so of the service and the brief words we, we yeah. had with the uh, the people there, the administration, the priests, and all that. Yeah, so walking through what we saw, thoughts we had. There'll be probably some speculation, some confusion, but uh, yeah, this is what it's like to enter the world of religion. There you go. You never know what you'll encounter. So if you've been to a Hindu service, there's probably not going to be anything new here, but if you haven't, can be your tour guides, sort of. Your one-time tour guides. Your one-time, relatively incompetent tour guides. Yeah! <laughs> Alright. Okay, so, so how, do, how would we... So first off, entering the temple. Uh, something common to a lot of religions is uh, removing footwear, entering barefoot in sacred spaces. And that was true of this place. There was a rack outside uh, where you placed your footwear, and we entered... With unshod feet. The, except Nate was still wearing his socks. Yeah, the socks were fine. And I, socks are I w- kept wearing my socks. But I went all the way. Yeah. Barefoot. Uh, and then as we... So this was a Vaishnava temple. Which means that of the... You say three preeminent gods of Hinduism. Who are Brahma, the creator. Uh, Vishnu, the protector. And uh, Shiva, the destroyer. Of evil. Also the destroyer of the universe in some traditions. Oh, but well, that's he, interesting. But then he recreates it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Cool. Uh, but yeah, so destroyer of evil is often appended to clarify he's not going to destroy you, except maybe he will. But not because he dislikes you. Yeah, just because the universe. <laughs> so this was a Vaishnava temple, which means that it was um, it is in the tradition of Vishnu worship. There was also a smaller one. Yeah. Attached to it, that was a Shiva temple, the destroyer, the destroyer god, but it was a lot smaller, and it's got a smaller contingent of priests. Not the main event. Yeah, and from what we, from what we heard, uh, apparently the Shaivite temple, the Shiva temple there, is actually, um, I suppose, the position of this temple is that Shiva is an avatar of Vishnu. Well, with the, uh, the thing that is Hindu cosmology with all the gods being Brahman, yet separate, yet also possibly the same. That sort of thing is allowed, or at least it makes a little more sense. Yeah, there's lots of room for variety, lots of room for multiple interpretations, traditions. Yeah. And so the the first thing we kind of did was walk around the temple proper. It's like a walled complex, and in the center of the complex is the main temple with the worship space. And we circled it clockwise 
you always want to walk clockwise around the various worship sites. And correct me if I'm wrong, I think this is in Hinduism, they have the, um, the, what are they called? The, like, relic houses. Stupas. Stupas, yeah. And you also rotate those in prayer. Right. And so, uh, the term you'll often hear in, uh, among scholars who write about religion, uh, when they describe this practice, is circumambulation, so walking around in a circle. And as we circumambulated, uh, we encountered several of these different... I don't know if these were, I don't know if these were technically stupas. Uh, they definitely certainly housed um, religious objects. I Idols, don't know if yeah. they counted as um, reliquaries. Right, but they had they had, did have the statues of various gods. They had right. They had various Vishnu's and Ganesh and others. Yeah. And so there were there was one at every corner. So there were four of those, uh, and there were actually uh, offerings placed before them. There was some rice, some flowers. And there was one, okay, so apparently coconuts are a pretty common offering, but slicing your coconut such that there are jagged edges or imperfect edges is considered an unworthy sacrifice or an offensive sacrifice. So people just, you know, slice their coconuts with precision, and there was a sign that said, do not slice coconuts in front of this altar. I guess that sounds just like a practical thing, like don't spill coconut yeah. juice everywhere. But it's quite interesting to see how, like, yeah, that's just a thing that people might be might might want to do is slice yeah. a coconut open there. It's yeah, just... normally when you, normally when you see signs like that, it's always fun to think back and go, all right, what event triggered this sign being placed? <laughs> who, who sliced their coconut very poorly in so front who, of this? Who broke open a coconut in front of the idol? <laughs> Yeah, and so after the circumambulation, there were a lot of the uh, the local, the parishioners there. Would that even be the right term, parishioners? But uh, the congregants, the, maybe. the congregants there. They were very many of them were praying in the uh, circle, and we were just kind of observing. And then we went into the actual service itself. And this was really interesting because they had two like tiers of of seating that you could go in. There was a like a farther back seating for just kind of everyone. And there was a much closer seating in a smaller, th like tighter area of the, of the temple itself that you had to actually pay to get into. Mm -hmm. It was, uh, so you might say that the rest of us were in the general admissions section and then closer to the God, closer to the idol was this restricted section. And that's where they were preparing a lot of the sacrifices. So you got to be much more intimate with, mm -hmm. with that whole process. And so we were sitting there and we're seeing jugs of milk getting passed along, bundles of bananas. Apples. There was, there was apple. a big bag of apples yeah. that I saw. And some coconuts. There were coconuts. Coconuts, yeah. And so when everyone sit, you can either sit or stand. There's not really a, a, a strong determination to do it. But what you have to do is you can't have your feet facing people. The bare sole of your foot is an offensive gesture at least in and at least the Indian culture if not specifically the religion and you definitely can't have your feet facing either of the two gods within the temple which is like a very high uh, dishonoring dishonoring thing to do disrespectful mm -hmm. thing to do so they had two they had the main Vishnu idol in the front altar where it's similar to like a Christian church where you'd have an altar in the front that everyone's facing they had the main the main statue there but then in the back 
they had another one. Was that another Vishnu that they had back there? I didn't look too closely at it, so I'm not sure what that was. So there's a second one uh, who might have been another another incarnation of Vishnu. Because this one was a specific incarnation of Vishnu, the the god of the hill, or the lord of the hill. The lord of the hill is what um, one of our professors said this specific avatar of Vishnu is uh, known as. Yeah, and the, the various gods do incarnate in a lot of, or incar- we talked about last episode, might not be the right, right word, but uh, they, they come as various avatara, various forms, and they're all the same god, even in different variations. Mm-hmm. And so the two gods are supposed to look at each other throughout the service. So as we sat, there was a there was a small gap in the middle of the temple, so that the the main idol could or the main god could look at the the littler god in the back. And that line of sight was not to be broken by anyone sitting or standing there. They still allowed you to cross back and forth, but you weren't supposed to stay there. Yeah. And then, uh, as we were all sitting there, eventually the the service proper began. And this is where the Brahmin priests were. They went into the... I don't suppose what you would actually call it. Prob- the closest term we would have is something like Holy of Holies. Or Altar Zone or, or something altar like that. Or Altar Area, yeah. Uh, which was restricted to the rest of the... To everyone. Only the Brahmin priests were that far in. Right. And they were... They began chanting in Sanskrit. Uh, and they all had these Sanskrit chants like perfectly memorized. They were down very the in sync. It was very yeah, cool. Down to the rhythm, they were all on like every exact beat. They were, had the same tone, everything. And a number of the congregants also were following along with the chant. Uh, they had printouts of it, which I got a glimpse at someone, at uh, the one that someone was holding. And it was all in um, the text. There was no, the script, there was no transliteration. Oh, wow. So okay, I didn't at least, see that. At least one or two people had even learned script. That's awesome. See, it was a very, it was call and response, so the, the main priest would say something, and then the, the, the choir of other priests would echo it, or respond to it, and if the congregants were joining in, they would join in then. And basically, the whole service was a, a series of sacrifices made to the, to the Vishnu that was in the front, and the first was a series of milk. Lots and lots of gallons of milk, Many like twenty or thirty milk. gallons of milk. They would just pour it into a big bowl, and they would get one of these bowls that could hold maybe two or three gallons at a time, and just dump them over the statue. And the statue, mind you, was like six or seven feet tall, probably. It was pretty large, yeah. And they would just dunk, dump, the, dump this milk over the Vishnu over and over and over again. They must have had a draining floor on the ground because it, it definitely yeah, filled up. I noticed there was a. They had so they had um in the general area a couple of TVs set up and there were camera feeds which gave you slightly better view from I suppose the side angles right and I could see through one of those camera feeds that there was some sort of drain surrounding the makes a lot of sense yeah. that's a lot of milk they yeah, poured there was a lot of at lot least of 20 gallons milk and eventually uh, they also poured water to wash I th- I it off. Water, they yeah, had water yeah. in various stages to wash the idol. Yeah. And then the next thing was like this thick milk. Yeah. Was it like I coconut? That. I wasn't sure. Coconut <laughs> or milk the rice would still stuff. looked pretty normal. So I don't know if that was some sort of paste or a yogurt, maybe. It was the consistency of yogurt. Yeah. And that was the next offering, and then they were washed. And then there was the the powder, the, ye- the yellow powder, the mm-hmm. Is that a spice powder? I don't know yeah. the technical term for it. It looks a, if you've ever seen pictures of um like Diwali in India, the Festival of Lights, it, very similar powder to the ones that 
are used in that. And the the statue was anointed on the forehead, on the chest, and on the on the shoulders, and then washed from there. And then again with an orange powder, except this time the entire body. Mm-hmm. And another thing I noticed that was really interesting is during the milk pouring and during the washing, uh, one of the priests would have this bowl that he would go up to one of the, the, the hands, the four hands of Vishnu. One of them is extended in like a palm facing outward as a blessing symbol. And one of the priests would collect the milk or water that spilled off of that blessing hand in a little oh, bowl and then take it to the side. I didn't get a chance to ask any of the priests what that was specifically, but that was definitely something interesting that I noticed. It was specifically off of the blessing hand. Yeah, it's interesting. Did you did you notice that? Now that you mentioned it, I did notice that they were collecting uh, some of what dripped off. I didn't realize it was that particular hand. Yeah, it was the blessing hand. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder what the purpose of that would be, because to save it... And this is where we verge into speculation. I would wonder if maybe uh, the priests drink that. Or maybe it was the holy water that they, or the the blessed water or whatever that they sprayed on us at the end. Yeah, or if it was used in um, the later ritual. Yeah, so a lot of what we know about Hinduism is like theoretical, philosophical, religion stuff, and not so much the practical. So it might be worth next episode doing an investigation of the practical aspects of the Hindu worship. Yeah, liturgy, worship service. And then we can get you some actual factual knowledge, because that'd be cool. But yeah, it's yeah. it's really cool to see how different the practical level of religion is from the theological level. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're, a, if you're a Christian, experiencing worship in church is very different than experiencing theology on paper. Oh, yeah. And I, it's the same way for Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, obviously, and pretty much everything else. So moving on from there, they kind of, they finished with the final ritual washing, and then they began this final, like, chanting sacrifice, where they had bells ringing, and the, like, you could feel the energy building up as, like, they got yeah, louder they and using, more, fa- uh, faster, and... There was some incense that was being burned, yes. so you could start to smell the air change. And then the, oh, the solid food, they would occasionally present before the other, they wouldn't pour it on top, but, like, right. the bananas and stuff, they would kind of present them to the, to the god. Yeah, and part of, uh, so they actually do believe that when, say, the milk and the banana is offered, especially with the solid foods, when they held up, say, the banana to the god, they actually do believe that it is consuming the food, but in a spiritual sense. Right. So the essence of the food has been consumed by the idol. The spiritual matter. Yeah. Yeah. So after that, after this climactic moment, they close this curtain. And this blocks the... It blocked the Brahmins and the idol from view. And then... We had the one thing that every religion has. The the one universal thing between all religions on the planet. Announcements. Oh, yeah. This is where the... <laughs> so the president of the temple who... So the Brahmins were dressed in... If you were to see them on the street, you would know this is some sort of religious garb. Yeah, probably. traditional robes. Like, almost toga-like. Like, their, their, their yeah. torsos were exposed, mostly. Yeah, they had um, a string that was from shoulder to hip. They had these... Uh, wraps around their midsections and legs. Uh, but then the president of the temple was dressed like far more typical of, of you might say, a casual, this yeah. casual worship service, maybe. Well, I mean, but not shirt and all that, but like, yeah. definitely not in traditional clothing. Yeah. He told us about some stories. He visited India. He met the reincarnation of, what was his name? Ramuna, Ramanaja? Uh, Shankara. Shankara who apparently transcends through a lineage and reincarnates through the lineage, kind of like a Dalai Lama. 
in Buddhism. And yeah. And then it kind of ended with the, uh, we all stood up and the, we opened up that, that line of sight between the two gods once again and the priests came down the middle and blessed everyone with, I'm not sure if holy water is the correct term, but basically some sort of blessed water they sprinkled on. Very, very similar to a Catholic or Orthodox priest sprinkling with the uh, holy water. Then they came by with a, with a candle and people would put offerings in the candle and then they would receive a blessing. And this was really interesting, the, the hand motion of blessing where you would, you would reach forward with your hands, or the, 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 the worshipers would reach forward with their hands to either the sacrifice, or in this case, the candle that they were making a, a giving money to, and they, it would be like almost like picking it up and pulling it back to you and rubbing your face with it. Might be worth looking up a, a YouTube video or something of it. Basically, they, you reach forward, you pull it back, and you like basically, quote unquote, wash your hair with the, the spiritual essence or the flame or whatever. Mm. And that was... That was like a, the response signal of the of the congregation with their hands. Yeah, and so Austin, I'd be interested because I uh, I left the the worship space around the time that the blessing started. Right. Uh, so Austin, I was wondering because you stayed inside. Yeah. So was there any sort of concluding remarks made, or was there? A... Yeah. So the final bit was you were able to go forward to to the idol, not not quite to the idol, but up to the to the entrance to the to the uh, altar area and receive a, a direct blessing from the priest, which uh, okay. I wasn't I wasn't going to do, but I, I saw the people lining up and that was when I left. Yeah. But yeah, this was, he came down and basically did like, it asked for offerings of money and people would donate. And that's when they did the candle thing. And then once they did that, they would all get in line and go towards the, the blessing from the from the Brahmin priest by the by the altar. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's that was kind of the service, the whole thing, which was really interesting because there wasn't like an instructional period. Yeah, there was no, nothing that you would recognize as a homily or a sermon. It was all the direct worship of of the god, which was very cool. It's it's definitely much more of a much more reminiscent of a of a very high liturgy mm-hmm. in a church. Or I would imagine is a uh, Muslim service is the same way or similar way I from what so. I know about Islam. Yeah, I think they they may have sermons in. Mosques, but the main focus would certainly be the, right. the worship aspect. So it's very, very dedicated worship the entire time, entirely focused on the deity in front, and not so much on the congregation. Mm. Which is very interesting. Very cool. I appreciate that kind of worship. Mm. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there was anything else. Uh, we did briefly walk through the, the, the Shiva temple. Uh, that was adjacent to it. Uh, there's a number of idols inside. We didn't see the penis rock. No, we didn't. So, for context... <laughs> yeah, okay, I just said that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you just dropped that in there. Uh, I'm forgetting the technical term for it, but uh, one of the ritual representations of Shiva is a small mound in the earth, which is a phallic symbol. And it has three stacked lines carved into it. Right, and that's... Uh, kind of like an E without the without the up and down bit. Right, so that, that would be the Shiva symbol. Yeah, and that's the, the phallic rock the, that I so crassly described. Honestly, phallic symbols in religion is a topic we should cover, because that would be... That's properly odd. <laughs> I'll 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 consult some Freudian resources. I'm I'm sure there's extensive psychological writing on that. Of course, of course. 
So yeah, I think that's all for this week. Yeah. Unless there's anything else. Hinduism is kind of cool. Certainly different than uh, what I think either of us are used to. Oh yeah. And just very, they preserve very Eastern rites, even in a Western context, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of the priests at that specific temple are, they come over from India specifically to serve as priests mm-hmm. there. Yeah, from what we heard, a lot of them really don't even speak that much English. Yeah, the congregants do, but the yeah. the priests really don't. So yeah, it's a very cool, very interesting cultural experience. And yeah, next week we'll we'll do some more like technical Hinduism and hopefully make some connections back to this. Yeah. This has been Welcome to the World of Religions in the Field. In the Field. Hopefully a series we can continue if we go to more services that are less than normal. <laughs> well, normal is such a such a western centric term, but uh but I guess it does make sense. I'm assuming that since we're speaking in English, most of our listeners are going to be American slash Western European, and yeah, the norm is Christianity, and everything else is really cool, and definitely worth checking out. So yeah, hopefully more in the field in the future. Yeah. Cool. All right. This has been Nathan and Austin. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.